0: We put a lot of time and effort into things in our lives. Um, I remember, um, as I was going through high school, looking forward to graduation, planning for graduation, buying a gown for graduation, all the grades, and then after getting home from my graduation, coming and and. It was in uh, Memorial Hall in Springfield, Ohio, not air conditioned, on a hot June day, dressed in a gown. I came home and I got, I got so I went into our, and, and took a bath. And I, as I'm sitting in the bathtub, I began to weep. Because I realized I, was, I had pushed so hard to get to graduation that I hadn't thought much about what was ending. And what was beginning? What is next? We do that with a lot of things in life. I remember when we were having our first child. We looked forward to that day. We, we, we went to classes and we bought stuff we never had before and, and we're arranging things and for months we're getting everything ready and then this shriveled prune of a being comes into our home and and after a few days we take this thing home and, and I remember as he is screaming through the night thinking, what? Now? We put all this effort and energy into the child being born that I hadn't put much, uh, we put, you know, we just assumed we'd know what to do next and now I'm crying again. Because the child's crying and I don't know what to do. We put a lot of effort into things that we get to and don't realize that they're not the end. They're actually the beginning. Amen. Graduation was the end of one area, era, but it was the beginning of the bigger era that would send me into ministry because I knew at that point that's where I was headed. The child being born wasn't the, the accomplishment It was the beginning of raising a child and the life that he would have. Fasting, we can often think, okay, we we went through a week of prayer and fasting and now if you're doing a juice fast, there's this tendency to think, uh, as you get to the end of it, uh, uh, boy, when I'm done, I'm going to have this, uh, and you have in your mind what you're going to eat. Popcorn, I can't wait to eat popcorn and we think it's the end, when in reality, it's the springboard into a deeper experience with God, a deeper service of God, a deeper, um, a, a deeper surrender that allows him to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. My picture of spiritual growth over a period of a year for those who, who take the time to every day have time with God every week worship with God, spend time growing through Bible studies or, or learning community, participate in the weeks of prayer and fasting, is that we begin like this, and we hit a week of prayer and fasting, and it goes like this. And then it just kind of, and after that it's a gradual, and then we hit another week of prayer and fasting, and it's like a springboard to a higher level of experiencing God and allowing Him to use us. So as we as we end the week of prayer with fasting, I want us to think a little bit about what that means as we go forward. Because it's either, what will happen is we don't use it, if we don't leverage it to go deeper with God, the devil will come in with lies and schemes to cause us to lose the the ground that we gain. And it will become a dead end and a frustration rather than the springboard that God wants to use it to launch us. And so let, let's talk about it. And, and I kind of have a confession to make because my tendency is to get to the end of something and then move on to something else. She always says, you always got to have another mountain to climb. You always got to have another thing to accomplish. And that's my tendency. And what I've sensed this week is God pulling me back saying, we need to back We need to pull back and make sure that we really leverage the week that we've been through. So that the gains that we've made in the unseen and the seen can now be uh, exponentially um, used for God. So let's talk about leveraging these spiritual moments as springboards to lifelong results. Number one. These kinds of spiritual moments that a week of fasting with prayer, prayer with fasting should be should cause us to go um, have greater obedience and alignment with God. Um, it's one thing to knuckle down for a week and say, you know, I'm going to sacrifice and, and I'm not going to eat this and I'm going to avoid this. Um, it's another thing to, in the day by day routine to surrender, listen, and obey. Fasting means nothing unless it results in our lives being closer aligned in obedience with God. Amen. Did you hear me? It there's no advantage to not... Well, let me back up. There are some actually physical advantages to fasting. Yeah, um, but in the long term, in the spiritual realm, in the things that mean something... There's no advantage unless it leads us to a deeper faith and a deeper, stronger alignment with Him. Um, I remember when I was a, a kid in church, uh, I would hear these older saints, who are now I realize were younger than me now, would say things like, "It's not how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when you land." And I used to think, "What? In the, what is he talking?" Th- and I realized that he's, they were exactly right. Amen. It's not how excited you get in worship, it's not how, the feelings that you have when you're at prayer gathering, it's not the, the, um, the scriptures that you can quote by memory. It's not, it, all of those are only good if, when we are in our day to day lives, walking in step with Jesus. Amen. That's what matters. When we go back to the routine, it's human nature for us to let down. Yeah, and so I, I, wanted, I didn't want to leave Jehoshaphat yet. So open your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Um, and, I want to, and I want to take a look at this. I want to show you something. Um, I referred to it early on when we were talking about this, but um, I think it's, uh, it, it allows us to gain perspective. So in the Old Testament, what we find is when a king was made king uh, by a prophet, the anointing of the Holy Spirit would come upon them. So we see it from the very beginning in the United Kingdom. So I've got some, some graphs up here. First king was Saul. Um, Saul was anointed king. Um, Anybody remember who the prophet was? Samuel. Samuel. Samuel came along and he was anointed by king. It was obvious the Holy Spirit was on him and gave him all that he needed to be the king that God wanted him to be. As long as he obeyed. Problem was in the beginning, he was good. He obeyed. But as time went on, it's not how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when you land. As time went on, he disobeyed God. And eventually the kingdom was torn from him. The Holy Spirit left him and he became, so he started out good, ended up evil. David was the next king, anointed, Holy Spirit came upon him. He defeated Goliath. He lived, he made some mistakes. Bathsheba was the big one, but all the way through his heart came back to God. He kept repenting when he would make mistakes and he ended up good. So he started good, ended good. Why? Because it's not how high you jump when when things are good. It's how straight you walk. Solomon was his son. He became the third king of the United Kingdom, all of Israel. He started out good, but by the end, he was terrible. He was awful. So of the three, and that, that was at, it was only those three kings until the kingdom split. That's the only uh, length of time that it lasted. Under Solomon, so Solomon's son came to power Split into the northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Um, This is Israel. This is the northern kingdom. And I want you to just take a glance at all of these kings. Jeroboam, evil, evil. Nadab, evil, evil. Basha, evil, evil. Evil, evil, evil. Look it down. In all the history of the northern kingdom of Israel, there was only one king that was good. And he ended up evil. You know why? It's because you get power and if you're not surrendered to God, you gain anything and you're not surrendered to God it eventually you turn away from God. Mm-hmm. That is a reality check for us. Mm-hmm. Because God said I, He would be with them if they would just follow Him. Mm-hmm. The other half of the kingdom, the southern kingdom, Judah, five, only five kings. Out of 20, five kings started out good and were good all the way through. Three kings good, started out good, but over the period of time they turned away from God. Power, evil got, held them. And, uh, and 11, more than half started out evil, ended up evil. What's interesting is there is only are we missing. There was one that started out evil and ended up good. And I got and, and when I saw that chart, I thought, I don't know that I ever noticed that before. So I went in and I and I started poking around and and looking at the history. The reason he turned around is because um, Babylon captured him and Judah, took him off, and while he's in the dungeon he he turns to God. It took devastation in his life for him to turn to God. And he actually did turn to God and he repented and God restored him and he ended up good. Well so you see out of this one of the kings that started out good and ended good was Jehoshaphat. Why? Why? What was it? We don't know a lot about the other king's situations, but we know about Jehoshaphat because we've been studying him. And the nearest that I could figure is the incident in chapter 20. If you have your Bibles open there, if, if you need a Bible, hold up your hand and somebody will bring you a Bible. The nearest I can figure is this incident is about the middle of his life. The middle of his reign. And that's often where people go astray. They experience God, and they're on track, and, they, and they're, they're living, but after a while, things get into the routine, and you're not as deliberate. It'd, be, it'd kind of be like us if we just said, you know, three weeks of prayer with fasting, That's a little, let's just cut it down to two. And then a couple years later, we just cut it down to one. And a couple years later, we don't need that fasting thing. And eventually... We just go back to business as usual instead of seeking God with all of our hearts. And so it's easy to do that. So in the middle of the reign of Jehoshaphat, we find this incident that we've been studying. And, um, and so I just want to highlight some of what happened. So the Moabites and the Ammonites have come. They're this great horde. They're going to destroy. They got no chance, but they turn to God. So look at verse three. They get the news that all of these people, they're going to be destroyed. There's no hope. Jehoshaphat was afraid, set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He got serious with God. It's the middle of his reign. He's getting serious with God. We don't know what he was going. We, we know that he was trying to be a good king. He was spreading the news. He was sending out people throughout all of Judah to tell people, this is what God says. This is what it means to follow. He was informing them. The word was being spread. But in the middle He has this incident that forces him to turn to God. They proclaimed to fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all uh, all, all the kingdoms of the nations. And your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. And then he goes on to to say, God, won't won't you deliver us according to your promises? Jump down to verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, their children, everybody. Nobody left out. This is the desperation. We're all fasting. We're going to stand here before the Lord as long as it takes until God responds. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. And when they got the instructions, jump down to verse 18. They tur- and so when, after they heard the word of God, they responded instead of going, okay, now we got the battle plan. They responded by turning to God again in worship and praise and obedience and confidence and more praise and more thanksgiving and singing in response after God answered. And then after God showed up, jump down to verse 25. After God shows up and takes care of the enemy and provides three days of spoil for them to carry off, instead of going back to business as usual, they turned to God again. Because Jehoshaphat's heart had been turned to God. It wasn't just for the moment, it was for the long term. Verse 25, The in of verse 25, they were three days in taking the spoil. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Berakah, for they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Berakah to this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head. So Jehoshaphat, the king, is leading the procession back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made their, them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem, with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And then verse 32. Jehoshaphat walked in the way of Asa, his father. You see in the chart, his dad was one of the good, good kings. One of the five. And did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. If you read on in that chapter, you see there's this little incident where he did disobey And God said, no, I'm not going to let you do that. So it's possible to continue to make, but his heart continued to be with God. I wonder, had this not happened, if Jehoshaphat would have finished as a good king, Because this incident forced him to either turn to God or turn away from God. So as we go through weeks of prayer with fasting, these need to be springboards to say whatever's next, I'm going to continue to turn to Him. Whatever's next... I'm going to continue to turn to him. Because the more you turn, if, if your trajectory really is like this and you've made progress, you can be absolutely confident that the enemy is going to come after you hard. And you're going to have to take a step back and say, was this worth it? Do I really have my hope in God? Is, if this is what happens after I worship God, this is what, uh, what kind of life is this? Or my hope is in God. My hope is in God, regardless of what happens. My hope is in God. So spiritual moments are intended for us to grow in obedience and alignment with God in some some specific ways. And I just highlighted a few that I think are key. So that we are able to see more. We're able to see more in the spiritual realm. We're able to see with our spiritual eyes and our understanding. Because with sin we're blind. And if there's still sin in my life, I've got areas of blindness that I don't even realize. You might want to write that down. If, there are, if there's still things that you're struggling with, you're refusing, God, there are areas of blindness that you don't know about. Because sin blinds us. Salvation opens our eyes a little. Growing in Christ causes us to see more and more and more. Underneath this whole situation with Jehoshaphat, the reason the Moabites and the Ammonites had come against him is because of his stupid decision to align with Ahab, the bad king of the northern kingdom who was trying to win a war. And he did it in disobedience. And as a result, just within the the next year, these people come after him. I don't know that Jehoshaphat understood that until that moment and God revealed it. Jehoshaphat, you were disobedient and you're blind to the fact that you put your country in harm's way. Now, because he turned to God, God reached in and took care of it. We, will, we, we should be able to see more. Spiritually, see more in how we need to obey, how we need to love our neighbors, how we need to walk in step with Him. We should be able to persevere bear, better. Um, as I've been saying, one of the things that I sense God's um, showing me is perseverance really is the battle. It's just continue to walk, just continue to step Take the next step. That's the battle. Because God is the one that does it. That's what we see with Jehoshaphat. Their job was not to win the battle. Their job was to just take the next step of obedience. So we should be able to persevere better. And I I put that statement there. Would Jehoshaphat have finished good without the crisis that drove him to seek God in desperation with fasting? Would he have Would he have finished good unless he experienced the miracle and then responded with praise and obedience afterwards? Will we finish good unless we continue with the gains that we make when we're seeking God through prayer with fasting? That's why we do it three times a year. To recalibrate. It's to reset. It's to reboot so that we can persevere better trust greater. We should be able to trust greater. Um, Think about all the time. So all of Judah came before God when the Moabites and the Ammonites were against them and they stood before God and they fasted and they prayed and they stayed there until God's prophet spoke. For the next generations, whenever they would face something difficult, Don't you think they would be sitting around the dinner table and the children are going, how are we going to survive this, Dad? And Dad would say, let me tell you about the time when we were going to be destroyed and God showed up. Trust is built in times of hurt and desperation and difficulty, not in times when things are going well. So after a week of prayer with fasting, we should be able to trust great, put our full weight. And there's something about praying with fasting that gives us better spiritual antenna. So that during weeks of prayer and fasting, my experience, and as I've talked with others, is we hear words of insight or... um, we get messages or instructions from God um, about things in our lives or about what we're supposed to do next or, or a perspective that we need to have. Mm-hmm. And it's important that you write those down. Because, in, so in, the, in this uh, insert, and some of you have ignored this, so I'm going to meddle in your life. On the back, in the middle, you don't have this. You can have this one. It says, record significant stuff. You know, that's a very academic term. Mm -hmm. Stuff. That means anything that God shows you. Moments during your fast can be spiritual markers to hold on to. Expect insights Lessons, instructions, assurances, and more during the fasting and prayer. Obey whatever God says. So if it's an instruction, do what he tells you to do. They Then hold on to what you gain by writing them down and putting them into practice. Satan doesn't care if God gives you insights as long as he can steal them later. So you need to write them down. And some of you are going, ah, you know, I never got into journaling. I never, I, Stop it. Just write it down. Just bullet points. Sticky notes that you stick in a notebook. It doesn't matter how they come or how you hold on to them just so that when you hit a hard spot, you can look back and say, oh yeah, during that fast, God reminded me of this. God doesn't, you know, does God ever say anything that doesn't matter No, so if God says something to you, if you have an insight, you need to record it. You need to hold on to it because it's a gem that God has given to you. So go home and if God has told you some stuff, somehow capture it. So that you can go forward with what he has given you. So, uh, greater obedience in alignment with God. So that our progress like this. And we hold on to it. Because if you don't leverage it, you'll go back to where you were. Which brings me to the second. Increased capacity for God's presence. There's something about praying with fasting as a discipline of saying no to food in order to say yes to God in greater and deeper ways. There's something about going through a week when you're denying yourself and praying, Lord, I love you more than food, do whatever you want in my life, multiple times that gives God access so that it increases your capacity for experiencing His presence as you go forward. In the communications conference that I I teach at, one of the things I always tell the small group that I'm coaching is our goal is to take you from where you are as a communicator, wherever you are, you might be brand new. And sometimes I, I have students who have never given a speech. Other times I have students who have been speaking for 30 years. So I say, wherever you are in this continuum, you might be here, you might be here. Wherever you are, my goal is to stretch you to take the next couple of steps to get better. Mm-hmm. Like a rubber band, or an, unless you're in Pittsburgh and there's a gum band. <laughs> like a rubber band, my goal is to take you and out of the package and stretch you just as far as I can stretch you right to the breaking point. And to keep you there all week. Because what I know is when you leave, I got to let go and you're going to come back. My goal is so that you will never go back to your original size. That you will always be bigger. You'll always have an increased capacity so that when you go back home, you'll be more effective for God. When we pray with fasting, it's the same thing. It's to stretch our capacity to experience God so that we can experience Him deeper and deeper, stronger and stronger, so that He can flow through us. So hopefully this week you've been preoccupied with fasting, prayer and fasting. Um, it, if, you're, if you're denying yourself, it's hard not to have that on your mind a lot. And in, in hopefully, as it was on your mind, you were praying, Lord, I love you more than food, do whatever you want in my life. And so it, that preoccupation. But as soon as you start, stop the fasting, whatever that fasting looks like, there's something that kind of, the, the rubber band comes back to here. Now I'm not as focused. I'm not as preoccupied with it anymore. You can't live like this 52 weeks out of the year. So it has to do that. But hopefully it stretched you enough that now your capacity is grown. And in daily living now, you have more of God's presence flowing through you. Amen. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 7. That verse, those verses that we read earlier. And the verses that I was talking to the kids about. I'm not going to give you each a cup and a straw because you'll just play with it. steal it from one of the kids if you really want it. Took them back from it. <laughs> oh yeah, they gave me back. And I told them they could have it. John chapter 7, beginning with verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, this is the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles, when the all Israelite males were required to come back to Jerusalem one of the three times during the year. Come back to Jerusalem to celebrate, and they were. They. they I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second. Jesus stood up and cried out, "If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water." Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Go back up to verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, um, and which was celebrated with certain rituals. So they would gather, um, I think it was eight days long, and one of those rituals every day was this solemn, quiet procession that they would make from the temple to the Gihan spring, and a priest would have a golden pitcher with water, and while the choir would sing um, Isaiah twelve three, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and then they would so he would get a pitcher of water, and then they would march back to the temple, and he would pour out that water, reminding them of that moment in the desert, in the wilderness, when they were wandering around um, and the water came out of the rock, reminding them of God's faithfulness. But it was also a prophecy. It was also a prophetic pronouncement that Messiah, who would be the living water, would come. The last day, so Jesus... It says, stood up on the last day, the great day. So the last day of the feast was the greatest, most important day. Jesus stood up in contrast to the rabbis who would sit when they would teach. And he shouted in contrast to um, the solemn announcements that the rabbis would make as a, as a, as a way to... Um, indicate that this was an important announcement, different than what the rabbis, the priests were doing. And he said, come to me and drink as an announcement of salvation. So Jesus took what was happening at that feast and he said, I am that water. Come to me. Whoever believes in me, verse 38, as the scripture has said, "Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Come to me and believe in me." And so what he's saying is not that you just acknowledge with your head, but that what does Jesus mean when he says, "Believe in me?" Luke 9:23, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me." He says, if you'll do that, rivers of living water, some translations say springs, but there's a big difference between spring and river. Mm -hmm. A river is something you can't control. A river is wide. A river is powerful. He says rivers of living water will flow from him. He's talking about abundance. He's not talking about just a little bit that you can drink out of that tiny little straw that I gave the kids. He's talking about abundance. He said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Spirit, he's talking about, is God's presence living within I put a statement there, Christ, our, as Christ followers, our primary job is to be ever-expanding pipelines of God's presence. That's our job. I say it in a lot of different ways. Last week, I'm, I'm sorry, Matthew's sick, he's not here today, I was going to commend him because I loved his phrase, his, uh, uh, the word that he created last week, herbisms. <laughs> Did you pick that up? Herbisms. I'm going, I don't know if that's pride or not. Maybe it's new songisms. I don't know. But there's a lot of them. Right? And I talk about it a lot, and I realize that a lot of them have the same theme. Slow. S-L-O. Surrender, listen, and obey. That's, that's what he's talking about here, is being an ever-expanding pipeline. Or I talk about walking and living in step. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Talk about knees and nudges. Beginning our day on our knees, surrendered to God, and then living each moment, paying attention to God's nudges to us. Or living in the heavenly realm while we're even still alive in the earthly realm. Or living from where God's... All of those are about being ever-expanding pipelines of God's presence. Because our... Jo- it, it, if, if what I sensed this last week is true, that God longs to bring us home, then the fact that we are still here means that we're supposed to be conduits of his presence until he takes us home. Because yeah. he wants us home. He wants to take us home. That's his, that's his delight. With that in mind, then he hasn't left us here just to wallow around but rather to experience his presence deeper and deeper and be conduits of that presence. So one more scripture, John chapter 14, turn there. And then you're going to discover what the kids were pointing at over here. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 12. So in the context of being ever-expanding pipelines of God's presence, hear these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Jesus says, greater works than the ones that you're seeing. I'm going to do great. And and what he's talking, let's be honest. You can't get any more profound than raising the dead. So there's not, not anything we can do that Jesus didn't do in, in that way. So greater, what he's talking about are more in number, not more in prof- being profound. Why? Because he was only around for three years. Most of us have lived past that. And so he said, but, but not, we, it won't be us. He says it's because I'm going to the Father. Well, what, what does that mean? Because whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So it's not about you experiencing things so that you can buy airplanes. It's about you experiencing. God. So God is glorified. God is seen conduits of His presence, so that He is glorified. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commands. That's how obedience. And I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper. Here's how. The helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you in Jesus' presence. And he will be in you when the Holy Spirit comes to fill believers. That happened at Pentecost. And it happens now when we accept Christ the Savior. I will not leave, and then he goes on, he talks about, I'm not going to, I'm going to come back for you. Verse 23, jump down to verse 23. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. It's the Holy Spirit living within because we're supposed to be conduits of God's presence, ever expanding pipelines of God's presence. So listen to me, if you are living and you are not being an ever expanding Pipeline of God's presence, then you're not experiencing the hope and the love and the joy. You're not experiencing the satisfaction that God gives because that's what you were created for. Mm-hmm. So stop messing around with other stuff that doesn't matter. Amen. Stop giving into sin. Stop giving into disobedience. Stop wasting your time on things that don't matter. Amen. And live the things that do yeah. as an ever-expanding pipeline of God's presence. The helper, jump down to verse 26. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. It's the Spirit living within, flowing through us. And then John chapter 15, if you jump down to chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, lives in me, allows the nutrients to flow through like from the... Jesus as the the vine and we are the branches flows through. He will bear much fruit. But apart from me you can do nothing. So our purpose is to be ever expanding pipelines of God's presence. Christ followers' primary job is to be ever expanding pipelines of God's presence. So I've, I've been talking about pipelines and conduits for quite some time. And as I was Thinking about it this week, um, this idea—I hope it's from God. I hope it's not just me. Um, this idea came to mind of some kind of—and and, Randy Terry inspired me because they always have these object, like you know, they talk about <laughs> these tandem bicycles and all this stuff. So, um, a picture of God's presence. What I wanted to bring in is this. A big pipe, but I thought uh, that uh, probably not going to fit, and it would overwhelm the room anyway. But what God's presence is so big; God's presence is beyond our comprehension. His presence is uh, is uh, we we can't even we'll never be able to uh, grasp it all. But we are to be have these rivers. Of his presence flowing through us. So I thought, well, what does that look like? I was digging through our cupboards. And I I didn't have those little straws that that I gave the kids. But I thought, that's kind of us. You know, when we we accept Christ as Savior. um, So let's bring God's presence up here this is so i don't have that but i did get this so let's this if this is god's presence this is a big pipe not as big as i wanted but and then we accept christ as savior and we're just these little you know we're we're not much of anything and we've got two responsibilities one is to get into God's presence. So when when we're in sin, we're over here. We're not anywhere close. God's around and He's inviting us, but we're not pipelines. We're not experiencing it because the Spirit of, of God is not living within us. We might, every once in a while, get a few drops of God's presence from somebody else or some other experience, but it's not flowing through us. But once we accept Christ as Savior, then we move over towards Him so that we get a little bit. And isn't it incredible when Christ comes into our lives Amen. when our our sin is forgiven, mm-hmm. and the burden is lifted, and our lives are changed because God now lives within but but we're just a little bit of that we just a little bit of his presence, and it's not flowing through very much, then, as we grow a little bit, maybe we um we get a little bit better, you know, so we get a little it's a little bit a little bit bigger and and so we experience a little bit more of his presence there. And, and that's a little bit better looking straw anyway, if you like yellow. And then, and then we continue to work at it. And, um, you know, we, we say, oh, you know, here's, 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 this is even fancier because you can bend it. You know, and I get a little bit better. I look a little bit nicer. Um, and then I give in to sin. And you know what happens when sin comes? You put a cap on it. You no longer spare Because if it's not flowing through, it's not there. And what you had before doesn't last. It dries up. But then when you accept Christ as Savior, when you come back and you repent, you confess and you obey, then opens it up again and He can flow through some more. And we, we keep working at it. And we get even fancier. I didn't even know they made metal straws. This was in our drawer until a few years ago when i saw my kids and but you know we get stronger as we spend more time with god and we get better at directing the presence of god as we grow so um, those are the, so which 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 would you want to be you know you want you want to be the one that that's kind of the choices that we have now here's here's the answer to that question is none of these. And yet, what I see in most of American Christianity is they settle for this. Amen. Our job, our responsibility, is to be ever-expanding pipelines of God's presence. Amen. That means two things. That means getting wider and getting more and more in alignment with Him. So we ought to do something like this. We So we, as we grow there you go. It's a little bit better, isn't it? You can get a lot of God's presence through that, but you have to move closer. And fasting, prayer with fasting, is a way to move better in alignment so that His presence is flowing through us. Satisfied with that? No, the more you fast, pray, seek God, surrender, obey, Knees and nudges, all those herbisms. The wider you get and the more of God's presence that can flow through. Satisfied with that? Nope. Yeah, now you're catching on. Yeah. <laughs> you continue to grow and fast and, and and you have this trajectory so that you get wider. And you get close because our responsibility. What what can happen is during a week of prayer with fasting, you get under here and you're almost completely in alignment with Him. So you're flowing, but then life. We're no longer fasting and praying. You're no longer praying that fasting prayer because you're eating again, and it's easy to move away so that less and less of His presence is flowing through. And then we have another week of prayer with fasting, and, and we get more in alignment with Him. You satisfied with that? Now, here's the principle. You'll never be as wide as God. Amen. There will always be more. But that can deliver a lot. Amen. And our responsibility is to be more in alignment so more and more can flow through us and wider and wider and wider. I don't know what you want to be, but I want as much of God's presence flowing through me as is Possible. Su- supernaturally possible. So, give me that one again. Which one are you? Which one do you want to be? And what are you going to do about it? Let me give you So under, what do we do with this? I put some assignments. Bev? (laughs) Because she loves homework. Here's some assignments. Let me give it to you. If you are serious about becoming this, take this serious. Number one, record the significant stuff. Take the time. I don't care whether you do it on a computer, you do it on Post-it notes, or you do it in a notebook. Or I don't care how you do it. Do it so that you can capture it. The idea is not to just write it down, but to capture it so God can use it to, make, to expand and get you in alignment. The experiences, the insights, all of, all of those kinds of things. Take some unhurried time. In fact, right now, think in your week, when can I get at least an hour to just spend some unhurried time with God to think and pray about what my experience has been and what God has been telling me. And then guard it. Just set that time aside. Do it. Record it so that you have it. And then number two is to continue to pray the requests that we have this week. Leading up to every week with, uh, of prayer with fasting I try to say, God, what is it you want us to pray about? What do you want us to focus on? These were the ones that I had in in the insert that I ask you to be praying this week. These are the ones that I ask you to continue to pray. God, bring revival and spiritual awakening. Convict us of anything that we need to get rid of. Transform us into the presence of the Holy Spirit, moving us more in alignment and wider as pieces of God's pipe. And then use us, that God will direct us in some practical ways. There's a world out there that is dying and headed for hell. Right. Mm-hmm. There are other people who, who know God and they don't have a church family. Amen. Pray that God would bring us and send us. Bring them, send us. Continue to pray for the new song children and the teens. Um, that God will be their shield. That God will give them a hunger for Him. Mm-hmm. And that God will... Um, lead them uh, to give their hearts, give them hearts of obedience, and and to help their family relationships. To bring the lost and the lonely, and then continue to pray for me as as leader and other leaders in our congregation. We need to leverage the gains. That's just a principle of life. That's a spiritual principle. I don't know about you. I want to be as wide as I can. C- can you put that picture back up there? I want to be standing in the middle of God's presence. Mm -hmm. I want to be that pipeline that just splashes on everybody. Because that's what life is really all about. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I pray that you would be with us this week. That you would push us, prod us, do whatever it takes to get us to capture the things that you have um, helped us gain. To make us, mold us individually and as a church family into the people of God that you can use. Um, God, whatever it takes to make us pipelines of your presence that, that will deliver your presence to every person that we meet, that will transform our thoughts, the things that we love, the places that we go, God, that you would get us serious with you. Make us pipelines of your presence. I pray for each one, God, that you would help them to see the devil's schemes and resist them, that you would help us to see your leading and follow with passion. Lord, we want to be like those kings that started good and finished good. And so we put ourselves into your hands in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.